Welcome to the Bold Speak Podcast. I'm Anthony Creedon. On this edition of the podcast, we're going to take a look at Peter's five marks of hope in 1 Peter 3.8 and evaluate what each of those marks look like for the hopeful and the hopeless. And on The Wire, my guest Will Cannon and I will discuss COVID news fatigue and how limiting your exposure and even taking a complete tech Sabbath can help to ease the mental load. All that right now as we give them the bold speak. Welcome, everyone, back to the Bold Speak podcast. Uh, glad you could join us as we continue to take a look at this idea of defending hope. Um, today, especially as we start to get into the five marks of hope and, and taking a look um, at Peter's kind of idea of what a hopeful person looks like, um, the, the attributes, the ways that they carry themselves, um, specifically lurk, looking here at uh, 1 Peter 3, verse 8. Uh, joined once again by my good friend, Will Cannon. Will, thanks for joining us. Yeah, you're very welcome. It's great to be here again. Yeah, it's good to have you back. Uh, you were very helpful in helping us kind of uh, <laughs> unpack hope in episode one, and uh, now we're we're taking a look at, uh, like I said, these these attributes or these marks of hope as we get in here. Um, so, if you haven't been following along um, and kind of paying attention to where we've been, uh, we're really dealing with First Peter three. Uh, this this kind of opening section here um, where he's dealing with uh, kind of defending hope. And we, we've talked about apologetics. Uh, we've talked about um, kind of the idea of, of what hope is in the last episode with Ashley. Um, now what we're going to be looking at is is really kind of the, the, the where the rubber meets the road, right? What does this look like? Which I think is the, the real important question uh, to get into here is, you know, as we're talking about defending hope and having hope, being people of hope, what does that what does that really look like? Um, and these five marks of hope can really help us to, to get there. Um, so we're going to start here by, by reading uh, these five marks of hope. And this is, uh, this is verse 8, uh, 1 Peter 3. This is the English Standard Version. And it says this, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. So these are the five things we're, we're going to be dealing with. And, and as we get started here, I think the first uh, question out of the gate to, to really set us up for um, what we're discussing, it comes from the blog article. And if you haven't been following along with the blog articles, um, there's been blog posts that are associated with these uh, podcasts. So you have kind of the two coming together. Um, and in the blog post that you can find at www.theboldspeak.com forward slash blog, um, you'll see there the one about the five marks of hope. And, and, and there's this article um, that was written that showed up on uh, Psychology Today. And, and, and I have to be honest, this this article was uh, very shaping for me. It, it formed yeah. me a lot in, in my ideas about hope and uh, specifically looking at this article by... Um, Scott Barry Kaufman, um, as he writes about hope from a perspective of goals that are associated with kind of growth or learning and goals that are associated with, with mastery. Um, and I'm going to read a quote that shows up in the blog there to kind of get us started. He says, hope leads to learning goals, which are conducive to growth and improvement. People with learning goals are actively engaged in their learning, constantly planning strategies to meet their goals and monitoring their progress to stay on track. Those lacking hope, on the other hand, tend to adopt mastery goals, 
People with mastery goals choose easy tasks that don't offer a challenge or opportunity for growth. When they fail, they quit. People with mastery goals act helpless and feel a lack of control over their environment. They don't believe in their capacity to obtain the kind of future they want. So my first question here is using that idea of, of learning goals versus mastery goals. How will, how do you, how do you see this sort of affecting gospel living? Um, how does this, this idea of learning goals and mastery goals play itself out? Yeah. What a powerful uh, way, di- dichotomy to think about this. I love that. Right, right. Yeah, uh, absolutely. I've never considered before, but as I was reading this, uh, the first thing that co- popped into my mind was uh, what happens when you have a learning disposition towards living the gospel out or a mastery disposition is uh, when, you, when you're, you get those who are preoccupied with sinning or not sinning <laughs> I mean that's how to say it those who are preoccupied just with not sinning tend to just be people concerned with mastering the Christian life right rather people who are preoccupied with loving are those who are looking to learn and grow it's a growth mentality and mindset and uh, right that's an excellent way to put that I uh, the more I was considering it in my own life I've definitely found in places when I've lacked hope uh, that I'm never going to get over a certain sin or I'm going to grow in my relationship with the Lord. Or I'm going to be able to love people in ways past my own capacity. Uh, I've re- I've really required the hope of God to come into my life more. And, yeah, you know, uh, it's it, it's funny, you know, as you say that, it has me thinking about, uh, it, it's it's almost backward in the way that we think, right? In other words, there, there are times when we feel hopeless and we feel like the way to regain hope is to regain some confidence by just, you know, limiting what we do so we can just have like accomplishments and kind of feel good about ourselves. Yep. Yep. When, when all the psychology and everything we read, you know, even in scripture seems to indicate that the, the way to overcome hopelessness is not to limit ourselves and hold back and just stick to what we can master, but actually mm-hmm. pushing ourselves and watching God work in the ways that we never even could have predicted or expected. Yeah, and, definitely. And that kind of builds hope. Is that, you know, is that, again, you, you work with students regularly. Is that something you've seen? Does that ring true for you? Yeah, definitely. When it comes to living a life of radical love, uh, the more you can get someone to put them, live in a situation and in places where their love is not going to be enough and they need God to show up and help them, uh, that's when you see the radical transformation of the gospel lived out. And they're, they're constantly stretching themselves rather than limiting themselves and just loving where it's easy. All of a sudden, they're, they're ready to live a life where they're willing to love where it's going to be impossible for them, where they're not going to have enough. Right. Uh, and I, I love right. seeing people take that step in their life. Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, talking about the the kind of hope that Christians carry and, and and you know this is where we would vary from from what Kaufman's saying because it's not a capacity to to, to trust in our own ability to achieve and accomplish yeah. but you know where 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 Peter's going with this is to say we have a confidence and a hope in what God accomplishes through us and so That's great. Christian hope yeah. looks very different because it it is sort of an overextension of what we even think we're capable of doing and watching yep. God work in those moments. Yep. Um, and that builds a sense of hopefulness because we know in our failings, he succeeds, right? And, yeah, and he accomplishes great. those things in our, our weak moments, you know, which is why, you know, Paul says several times that he sort of boasts in his weaknesses and, exactly. and sort of lifts, lifts those up because he says, look, in those moments where I have failed, this is what Christ has accomplished right. through me. And so 
Christian biblical hope, uh, it, it looks very different. We carry ourselves differently. Um, and, and, and building on that, let, let's get into some of these um, specific marks of hope, because I think, you know, looking through these and and kind of dissecting them a little bit about what they look like uh, and, and, and seeing how they played themselves out um, is is helpful. Let's so let, let's look at the first one here. Uh, Peter asks us to have a, a unity of mind. What what does that look like kind of in, again, in your experiences, what you've seen as, as you've read through scripture, somebody with hope, how would they carry themselves with a unity of mind? Yeah, I think people that have hope at least recognize that the, you can come to a unity of understanding with somebody that maybe on the surface you first disagree with. Right. Uh, someone who's hopeful is actually going to engage that relationship where they're both seeking to understand them and hoping that the person they're talking to is seeking to understand their point of view. And uh, that's a much more, that's a much, especially when it comes to apologetics, that's a much stronger platform to stand on and to start a conversation with than how a lot of people engage apologetics, which is I have the answer and I'm going to like come in and be ready to give it to you. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And that's a much harder position to build a real unity of mind. Uh, whereas excellent apologists always start by saying, what do we agree on? And how do, where do we right. have unity? And then building from there, their points about that they want to help the other person. Get right. To. Yeah. Apologetics is not rooted in um, whether I win you to my position. It's it's rooted in how can I help us kind of both win, if you will, um, in Christ? How do I bring yeah. you into that same relationship? Yeah. And so that's a very different way to to approach it um, as opposed to this uh, kind of us versus them mentality, which is, I think, easy to fall into um, when, when you have somebody without hope. Um, you know, the, the person without hope thinks that kind of unity of mind that that's it's an impossible task there's no way that you can achieve that kind of unity um looking just at the vast diversity of people beliefs thoughts um that are that are out in the world so um yeah i I think that's great yeah you you approach it with a sense of of belief or confidence that unity can be found um and you seek it even even if it's it's, small yeah even if it's small even if it's difficult um yep yep that, that that's there all right so let's take a look at the next one here sympathy um well, what does that look like how, how does christian hope bring about sympathy uh, in a person and what does that look like well it probably starts with us just recognizing the same position that we have before the cross which is as people in need of god's mercy sure. and forgiveness no matter who we are, no matter how long we've been following Jesus, no matter how long we haven't been, uh, it's the same fundamental disposition of need that we that we have. And I think starting from this kind of sympathetic stance of saying, actually, me and you are the same. We're the same before the Lord, in that we both are in need of God's mercy. Right. Rather than thinking again, the us versus them mentality, which says, "Well, I've been saved and you haven't," so right. like you're kind of in a different standing. Right. You can come alongside them shoulder to shoulder and say, hey, I'm I'm following this guy, Jesus, and he's bringing me to a place of greater joy and life and hope than I've ever come to know. Do you want to follow me in it rather than, hey, get your act together and like get, you know, follow, follow Jesus on your own. But you're right. coming alongside them in a sympathetic way. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm increasingly intrigued with the idea of sympathy in regard to um, uh, sin. 
uh, you know, how we approach sin, how we mm-hmm. relate to other people um, in sin, you know, specifically saying that, you know, as you said, it, it sort of becomes a leveling of we're kind of all in this together. We all, as you said, kind of stand before the cross in, in need of Jesus. And I feel like, you know, without hope, sympathy really kind of reduces everything to a bit of a black and white, right? Like it, Definitely. it, it says, you know, either you succeeded in this thing or you failed in this thing. And, and my ability to relate to you in that is whether or not I've succeeded or failed in that same thing. You know, if you failed where I succeeded, then I sort of am above you, right? So I'm, I've, I've kind of superseded you um, in that because you failed. And it can really, I think, many times lead to a, a very judgmental or critical attitude toward other people because you lack the sympathy oh, to say, we're, we're all in this together. Yep. including within the realm of sin. You know, maybe I haven't struggled with your particular sin or the thing that, you know, you were involved in, but I, I get how sin works. Yep. I understand how, how difficult that is. And, and we can still come together because we still both need Jesus. Yes. And that's very easy, hard, much harder than, it's much easier said than done when it comes to real areas of sin. I mean, right. it's like, you know, if being able to say, I have the capacity for that sin when it's something, you know, you know, on the surface is easy, but when you actually come into contact with real deep sin and then you have to wrestle with yourself and think, I have that same capacity inside of myself. Right. I have, maybe haven't acted on it, praise God, out of his grace, <laughs> right, right. but I still have that same capacity. That is a sympathetic position that is very hard without real hope to achieve, I think. Yeah, no, that's, that's excellent. Yeah, I agreed. I, you know, I think having... A, a true sense of, of hopefulness in Christ, um, seeing yes. the, what he yep. has accomplished and what he does for all people in all circumstances allows you to sort of stop and pause for a moment. And, and like you said, think to yourself that that could have been me. It wasn't by God's grace, but th- these people, that person mm-hmm. still needs the same kind of love and support as, as everyone else. So I have an opportunity then to offer that. And that, that actually segues well into the third one here. Um, brotherly love thoughts on hopefulness and brotherly love. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. I mean, I think when you really approach people uh, and you've recognized one, your stance, your stance before the Lord, you recognize that we've all received and are being offered the same grace. Um, it destroys the kind of judgment and the criticism that oftentimes keeps us from being brothers and sisters together and standing right. together in this like kind of familial uh, commitment. Um, and so the more that that becomes our pattern of being and our pattern of relating to one another, I think it allows us to then tear down the kind of tribal barriers that we're so quick to put up, yeah. the different identity politics that people hold yeah. on to and identify with uh, and allows us just to say, well, they're my brother still, even if they kind of piss me off or even right, if they're challenging right, right. to love sometimes. Right, right. I'm, I'm still committed to them just like, I don't know, in your actual family, you might have a hard time loving your right. sister or your brother. Uh, and yet the call is still there for you to love them. Yeah. And that's the, the, the radicalness of, you know, we're even called to love our enemies right. in a similar way. Right. Uh, and that's impossible apart from God. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a, a level of committedness that comes with hope in brotherly yes. love where you're, you know, you're committed to the relationship, you know, like you said, just like within a family, 
you know, you, you have your disagreements. There's times where you don't get along. There's maybe <laughs> at times fierce anger, but you're committed to the relationship. They're your family. Um, yep. And so there's this sort of internal sense that, that whether or not you feel it, you have a responsibility to them. Yep. Um, and I think that kind of brotherly love, you know, within people who are hopeful um, shows itself in an ability to overcome racism, bigotry, um, you know, hatred, things like that. I think a lot of overcoming those social injustice issues and things starts with hope. Definitely. Um, a hopefulness that we can find that familial bond um, even though we've been through different circumstances, suffer and deal with different things. Um, you know, many places uh, deal with injustices that, that, you know, I can't even comprehend, right? It's just not a space oh, that yeah, I'm in, but definitely. I can find a place of brotherly love and commitment to the relationship to, to work to overcome it. Mm -hmm. I, I just don't feel like that is a part of hopeless thinking. Um, you know, I, I think the word you used, tribe, you know, tribal, is is very appropriate. We kind of isolate ourselves um, mm. into tribes, into different groups, and we sort of only tend to associate with with those people because there's some safety there. Um, and and we feel like with all this disconnection, with all this discord, um, that 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 that's you know that kind of unity that kind of brotherly love that kind of connection it's just not possible and that's that's the sense i get within hopeless people yeah definitely and they're also get they get really caught up with them needing to define who is their brother or not right. rather than uh, hopeful people re receive that reality from the outside i mean think about your family you don't you don't sit down and think about okay who is actually in my family or not right. it's received from your parents it's re received from an outside culture right. this is where i think really the hopeful mind is always looking to the Lord and saying, Lord, who am I in definition from you? And what he says is, you're my son and daughter. You're all my sons and daughters. Right. So b because of that, now we're united in that way. And it's an outside thing that we've got to pay attention to rather than something we have to define right. ourselves. Right. Yeah. I, I, that's very well said. Yeah. I, I think it's, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out who that tribe is rather than realizing that there really is just one tribe yes. um, and that's yeah, humanity. Yeah. That's us. We're all kind us, of in yeah. it together. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Um, yeah. It's there. All right. So the next one, which I, I think is, uh, 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 let me say this. I've seen a lot of hopelessness in this particular area and that's a tender heart. Hmm. And, and specifically that's related to the idea of compassion. Um, hopeful people, I think are able to recognize the importance of, of compassion. Um, it, it grows out of hope. And, yeah. and I think, you know, honestly, I, I really believe that these five marks that Peter mentions, I think they're a progression or it seems, at least it seems like they're a progression, right? A yeah, unity of great. mind allows you to have sympathy, which creates these familial bonds, which then generates within you this idea of compassion yep. um, that you kind of pour yourself into the lives of others because that you believe that they are deserving of, of love and mercy. And then you genuinely believe that can change them. Mm -hmm. Um, and so this, this compassion is sort of born out of that. Um, yeah, that's great thoughts on that. I mean, is that, is that your perception of compassion? What, what have you seen in regard to compassion today? Well, I think a lot of kind of a lot, our political rhetoric, a lot of our cultural experience is very much void of compassion. 
of people. We've mm. we've kind of turned everything into, you know, we lean into kind of ideological directions more so than interpersonal relational direction. Right. And that's far more, you, you can't have compassion for an idea. You can't even have compassion for, you know, a political party. Right. You have right. to, you can only really have compassion for other humans. Right. For people. Can you feel what they feel? Right. And, uh, so the more we live in an abstracted world, and I think social media does this a lot where it abstracts ideas into kind of just these ethereal things that you can either agree with right. or not. Not tied to people and at all. Rem- exactly. They're not tied to relationships. Uh, so the more the hopeful person surrounds themselves with people that they can feel what they feel, even if they disagree with them on you know the ideas that they try to promote, but they can actually understand them as a individual they can feel their what their lives have been like uh it sure allows just like love to abound hope to abound yeah i mean it, it connects to simply i love that idea that it, it flows out of this progression it goes from just uh, our minds and having unity of mind but compassion is like something much deeper than that and uh right i think when we when we look for that in the people around us uh we will be surprised that we actually find it right i've been uh I just finished reading this this book called The Warmth of Other Suns. Hmm. Have you heard of it? I have not. It's a history of the Great Migration. So uh, this basically captures the movement of the African Americans, the blacks from the South, through up to Chicago, into California, and into New York. Hmm. And one of the things that has been deeply moving for me is how compassionately this woman writes. Her name is Isabella Wilkerson. And... Uh, she writes with such compassion because what she's doing is taking this kind of thing, which has become abstracted, which is like racial issues in, in America. It's, it's, there's these big, you know, abstract ideas that we're having to, to wrestle with. Sure. And she's bringing them back to individuals and actually helping us remember like their actual people's lives at stake here. And so the, when we are filled with hope, I think we actually allow ourselves to feel that. Sure. And we allow ourselves to have compassion and empathy with those that maybe on an ideological level we disagree with or something like that. Maybe we disagree with, you know, s- s- something that is happening <laughs> around the, this, you know, these people. Sure. But uh, we actually feel and make a connection with with them, and we allow ourselves to because we're hopeful that that's actually going to bring us into a place of greater strength rather than wear away something within us yeah. that we need to hold on to. Yeah, there's. it's always striking to me how much power is in a conversation with someone who is genuinely experiencing the things that we tend to talk about on a larger abstract scale, right? So yeah. it's one thing to yep. talk about systemic racism, you know, as a reality and, and what that means. It's a whole nother thing to engage um, with the black community and, and with an individual within the black community and say, how is it directly affecting you? Yeah. Tell me more. Tell me that story. Help me understand. Um, and, and that generates the kind of compassion that I think is helpful as you move forward, even fighting the, the larger scale systemic things, because Definitely. now you've put people to it. Yep. Now there's a face to it. Now there's a reality to it that that up until that point was, you know, depending on whichever news outlet you paid attention to um, and however they specifically spun it. Right. So, yep. you know, putting yep. putting a person to a lot of those ideas, I think, is a, is powerful in generating the kind of compassion and hopefulness that allows you to to pursue those things um, yep. and really come to, to some solutions and conclusions. Um, 
outside of that, I feel like the hopelessness kind of just Oof. feeds off of this fixation that, you know, these problems are too big to beat there. You know, we, we, we can't, um, you know, overcome these things. It, it, mm. it focuses on just the, the it kind of hard heartedness, right? In other words, it, it allows yeah. us to, um, dehumanize, um, and, and sort of displace some of these things and keep them mm-hmm. just on the abstract, which mm-hmm. just makes them more difficult and complex to, to overcome. Um, yep. I don't think solutions happen without compassion. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I'd agree. Uh, so the last one here uh, is a humble mind um, and dealing with kind of the nature of humility. And, and I really think this is the um, kind of the, 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 the final piece here uh, simply because uh, all of this, right, unity of mind, um, having this the, the sense of sympathy toward others, brotherly love, having compassion, leads us to a point where we carry ourselves with a general sense of humility. Um, mm. And the importance of that for someone who is hopeful. Um, hopeful people tend to be humble. Um, yeah. Because they, there's a recognition and, and, and an understanding of being grounded in a belief that 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 every moment is a teachable moment, right? Um, everything we encounter is an opportunity for us to grow and to grow together, mm-hmm. um, right? There, it eliminates comparison. It eliminates this, you know, I'm better than you. This us versus them. Mm-hmm. It's a, a humility that that brings us together and and really unifies us under Christ. Um, yep. uh, under a, a God who says, you know, before my eyes, you, you are all sinful and undeserving yet through Christ, I, I give you it all. Yes. Um, yes. And, and we're all in that same place. And, and I feel yeah. like when you lack hopefulness, that, that humility just, it just isn't there. Um, you know, we're, we're kind of looking for validation, um, mm-hmm. and looking for mm-hmm. another way to, to sort of relate. Um, I, I think, I really think this one is kind of a capstone to the idea yeah. of, uh, of hopefulness, um, yeah. and, and, and where a hopeful mindset can lead you, um, and where hopelessness I think can lead you. Yep. And, and well, I love what you're saying that the hopeful mind is one that's always every opportunity, every person they meet, every conversation they have, they're actually looking to learn rather than they're just looking to right. be proved right or something. And I see this a lot in conversations I get to have with students or I get to help other students have with other, with their friends on campus um, is helping them not just think, I'm going into these relationships with people who don't know Jesus to simply change them. But actually, I want to also grow my understanding of things. I want to have an open mind and right. see what I might learn from a non-believer. There's actually things that they might right. show you about the mercy of Christ or his patience and then maybe you haven't seen uh, before. Right. So when we have hope, I think we really see every interaction, every discussion that we have with people as a chance to learn something rather than just prove ourselves. Right. You know, I've, I've, I've been increasingly more, um, I guess maybe enamored with with a thought or an idea that that came to me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, hmm. In in that, um, I feel like so many people approach interactions with others from a position of advantage. In other hmm. words, they're looking at interactions as to from a, a perspective of like, what can I gain from this interaction? Yeah, interesting. Um, not necessarily what I can learn from it, but how mm-hmm. I can 
put myself in a better position um, in how I relate to people um, in in this particular conversation and this particular you know interaction at, at any point um, you know whether yeah. you're you know ordering something at a, at a at a restaurant or whatever you know it's it's if I say this thing can I get this thing for free or if I do this thing can I you know gain this thing rather than um, approaching it with some humility and what I can learn which may mean. I have to sacrifice some things to grow here. I may have to yeah. sacrifice some ideas in this interaction. I, I I once believed this in this conversation that I have now with this person um, coming from a place of humility. I may have to sacrifice that long held idea yeah. because what I've just learned and what I've just experienced, that is a more godly way or a better way to approach that. Yeah. Um, or, or even just if they're actually humble, they'll, they'll just say, wow, I've never thought about that before. Like, I don't, sure. I, mean, I would love to talk about that more. Like think about it some and talk about it. Uh, right. And that's a very hard right. thing to do in the midst of like a conversation, but actually that's, there's very few things more powerful in a evangelistic conversation. When someone actually raises a good point or they ask a good question, instead of you trying to get defensive about it, sure. you actually say, man, that is a very good question. I've never thought about it. Right. Uh, can I, would you mind if I had talked to someone who's smarter than I am or like right. bring someone else in that could help us think about this area. Right. Uh, so I don't know if it demands us to abandon our beliefs, but it should at least, we should feel confident and hopeful that when we come up against the edges of our belief, that there's something bigger out there, that Christ is, he, he's more glorious than what that question is going to expose, you know, and be like, oh, I guess this is all, all false or something. Right. And that, when we're hopeful, man, those conversations are so winning for other people because right. then they realize, yeah. Oh, we're actually learning this together rather than you're just here telling me everything. Right. 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 Yeah. Uh, rather than just uh, turning on the, the hose and, and, yeah. and drinking from it. But <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah I, you know, I, I think there is a lot of, um, a lot of things to be gained, um, in hopeful discourse from a position of humility, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. it, it, that, that requires a, a, a different kind of, um, willingness to grow uh, yeah. a different kind of hopefulness um, than maybe the world would, would, would speak of. You know, again, I think the world uh, kind of presents hope um, specifically tied to the emotional realities and, and rather than a, a kind of a confidence and compassion as, as Peter seems to explain it here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that being said, uh, last question here, uh, you know, how, how might gospel living with hope change someone's life and, and the lives around them. So, you know, we carry these five marks of hope for somebody who lives these five marks of hope and says, you know, okay, I'm, I'm going to be hopeful, you know, in, in this unity of mind, the sympathy, brotherly yeah. love, tender heart, humble mind. How does that change their life? And how might that then change the lives of those around them? I mean, it probably looks like a lot of different things in different settings, but probably the best umbrella term is thinking it looks like a life of love. Sure. And what happens there is then Christ says, they'll actually know that you're one of my followers by the love that you have for those around you. I think when we live in hope, what it looks like is we forgive those around us. We live this, these reconciled lives. Yeah. Uh, we live in communities of people that people are free to be themselves. They're not having to kind of put on a mask and kind of act a certain way to be accepted. And, no matter who you are, I think when you see that kind of life lived out with yeah. that kind of gospel hope lived out, 
you can't help but desire it. Right. And I, we get to see this a lot in our outreach setting when when skeptics come in, people that have a bunch of rational arguments as to why they don't believe Jesus is worthy of following with their whole lives, and yet they see Christians loving one another and living out hopeful relationships where they're you know bearing with one another's burdens, they're actually right. helping one another grow in their relationship with Christ. They can't help but in, in the depths of their soul think, oh man, I really want that. Right. Whether or not then they allow their their you know their rationality to kind of say, well, here's why I don't you know think they think it's just all a delusion or something like that. <laughs> but, right. That plays out in in each unique uh, relationship. But everybody, when they see this kind of hope lived out, I think everybody who sees it can't help but desire it. Yeah, there's this real sense of joy, and this is what I'm I'm kind of hearing from you because I've I've seen yeah. it and, and felt it yeah. myself. You know, there's this real sense of joy from hopeful living that you're right. It's, it's contagious. You, you can't help, but, but think to yourself, like, you know, and especially during times like these, you know, where there's a lot of reason right now to be tired and frustrated and, and hopeless, right. To be honest, you know, you, you look at the world around us right now and, and yeah. I don't think any of us would say like things are great at the moment. Um, everybody's struggling in lots of different ways, but, but to see a, a sense of hopefulness, that allows for, you know, joy and unity and connection with people, even during a time of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, there's something about that that just, uh, you know, I think makes people perk up, um, take notice, ask questions. Yeah. Uh, you know, how is that person so hopeful um, and, and, and what's going on there? And that's, you know, that's something we're going to get into um, as we as we continue to move forward here and and discuss um, kind of how hope plays itself out. Um, you know, in in particular with uh, dealing with hope in the midst of struggle, and and we're going to be talking um, next week. Um, about the, the nature of, of evil in the midst of hopefulness and how do you address and think about evil um, in the midst of hope, uh, hopefulness. Um, cool. And uh, Pastor Gabe Casper is going to join us for that and help us to kind of dissect that. So um, looking looking forward to that as we move forward. But um, Will, always a pleasure, man. Uh, it really is a, a blessing to, to have you join us and to get your insights and your perspective. Um, really appreciate uh, a lot of the, the things you bring to the table. And this is... Uh, Hopefully not the last time we will hear from Will uh, on the Bold Speak yeah, podcast. Yeah. We'll have you on for a couple of other things um, and uh, continue to both move forward in the in the mission and grace of God. So thanks so much yeah, uh, for being a part of the show today. You're very welcome. Uh, so now we're going to move on into uh, a little thing uh, we call The Wire uh, as we discuss news and topics going on. And today we're going to talk about... Um, fatigue associated <laughs> with covid news um and it's uh, yeah you know favorite. it just seems to be wearing on us and and it's something that will and i discussed and we'll let you in on that conversation uh, for this edition of the wire All right, so discussing COVID news fatigue, you know, it's, uh, and I'll give you uh, the listeners a little yeah. bit of insight of how we came to this. You know, we were talking about, you know, different things going on in the world and, and uh, you know, what we could, you know, possibly talk about for this feature. And, you know, as we looked at the news, it was just story after story after story after story about COVID. And we just got to talking about COVID fatigue, uh, you know, in regard to the news. It feels like <laughs> everything now is just so focused around COVID that, um, I'm just, I'm tired. 
you know, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm tired. Um, and so, I don't know. I, I mean, you're. I know you're feeling this. I know you're. You know. Yeah, big time. Hearing a lot about this. Where Where are you at with this? <laughs> well, it, one of the things I find interesting about this, the whole COVID reality, is it's one of the very first global experiences that we've had in this current world of communication, right. and so we're able to talk about this kind of global experience uh, incessantly. Right. And uh, what I think we're, we're seeing is, I mean, that our capacity to know what's going on around the world and the, to the detail that we have is still a pretty new, you know, invention in some ways. If you look at the grand scope of our humanity right. and what it's done is it's made this, this very real thing, which is this virus. And it's, it's put it out into this, like the ether of just thinking, this is all over the globe. Right. And like we have to try to r- relate to and think about what it's like right now, you know, dealing with COVID in India right. or you're dealing with all like the fake news of it coming out of Russia or like right, whatever right. they're putting out about it. And it, it's just so removed from our local immediate experience of life. What it's doing is I think people are just really tired of actually having to relate to and think about our right. globe on that scale to the detriment, I think, oftentimes of just those closest to us. And like, we're much better at loving just our neighbor. Who are Who is our neighbor? Like, of course, it's everyone in the world, but also it's just the people right around us. And I don't know, that's what I'm most tired in is dealing with like, man, I feel totally overwhelmed trying to think of how I love, you know, all the elderly in <laughs> Michigan or something right. like that. It's like, that's very challenging. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's it, as, as more information comes out, I, I feel like half the time, uh, you know, something comes up on my phone or comes across yeah. my screen and I'm thinking to myself like, wow, I, you know, what's going on with this? And then immediately my brain's like, I, I don't know if this is even helpful. Like, you know, half yeah. the time I'm, I'm not even so sure we're, we're getting all the facts because things are just constantly changing. It feels like understanding COVID is a bit of a moving target at this point. Definitely. Um, you know, with all these, you know, the new strain now and, and, and you know, it, it just feels so overwhelming. And I think to myself, you know, maybe I'd just be better off paying attention to just kind of local news right? Like what's going on in my immediate area so I can address that with my community. And, and most importantly, just loving and caring for the people immediately around me. Um, because that's my sphere of influence, right? Like that, that's what I can exactly, genuinely yeah. do. I am no help to people in Cambodia dealing with COVID, right? Not, not I'm just, I'm not, uh, you know, I, I, yeah. I don't have the capacity for that. Or, you know, what I, what I do have is I have the capacity to help the people in my community and my immediate surrounding deal with yeah. COVID. And I feel like that's, that's where my news efforts should be focused, yeah. if you will, you know, and, yeah. and where my, where my love should be focused. Like you said, um, yeah. I just, I, yeah, I, I feel the fatigue. Yeah. And it's, and it's all a matter of, you know, balance. I think, like, of course we should be aware of things. We should pray for those around the world. You know, we should in some ways be, be concerned for things outside of our sphere and be asking that God increase our sphere of influence. But at the same time, it has to come from a place of overflowing out of what we have in our, around us. And you raise a great point with the whole, like COVID information has been so uncertain from the beginning. And now you know, we have these, our phones vibrate and show us a headline that oh, gosh. you have to make up your mind. Like, okay, am I going to believe that or am I not? 
Right. And I think that also is so draining, just having that constant stress of thinking, I need to make a judgment call onto whether or not this is like worth me paying attention to or yeah. not. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, and that, that brings up an interesting point and, and maybe sort of a tangential point to all of this. You know, I've been reading about um, the, the mental benefits to Tech Sabbath. Um, and and yeah, nice. stepping away for a while and just giving your mind a break from the constant news updates, you know, especially during COVID. Um, it's yeah. just, it, it's, it's almost critical right now, I feel like, um, for us to be yeah. able to have time to just step away. Um, so, you know, if, if, if you've never thought about a tech Sabbath um, out there, um, yeah, of course, after you listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> make sure that you uh, exactly. right, uh, make sure that you uh, take some time away from technology for a little bit. Take some some time away from the news. Um, just kind of step back and, and give your head a rest. Um, it, it will do wonders uh, for your for your mental health and I think spiritual health as well. Yeah. Amen. All right. Uh, that's all. Uh, appreciate you uh, joining us for this as we complete this edition of The Wire. That's all for this edition of the Bold Speak podcast. I want to thank you for joining us. And as always, make sure you like, subscribe, and share this podcast with friends and family. Stay connected to us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at forward slash the Bold Speak. And learn more about this ministry and find other helpful resources from Bold Speak at www.theboldspeak.com. Until next we meet, have a great one, everybody, and keep living the Bold Speak. <laughs>